Well, Merry Christmas. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad that you made it through what apparently has been a plague in our uh, local area over the last few weeks. So if you're here and you're whole, you're awesome. All right, you made it. All right, you made it. Let's get excited. I want to just uh, greet every single person at home, at home church this morning. Uh, I'm, I just feel in my heart every time we have a big service like this or a special moment, there's always people who haven't been to church in years. Uh, turn it on. They're more open. They're more receptive. So I want to thank you so much for giving us just a few minutes of your time. And I believe that the Lord is going to do an amazing thing in your life this morning. And I want to thank all of the people who are in overflow. I know that that was probably not what you thought you wanted, but I still believe you're here and God is going to do something incredible in your life. And at the end of this service, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to close out that little room so I'll get to meet you and hang out with you. So I love you. Don't leave. Stay right there. This morning, I am beyond excited to preach this message. I'm going to be honest with you. Can I, just, can I just be pastorally honest with you? In the past, I've struggled with, with Christmas messages because I've, I've always felt like just, there's only one or two messages that you can really preach, and that's what people expect, and that's what you want, and it's kind of important, so let's just you know, find the, the same things and just kind of put it out there, and everybody goes home, and, and it's a Christmas message. You know, Christmas services in America are famous uh, for people who don't really go to church. They still come to church just out of a cultural obligation on Christmas, uh, and I wanna thank you guys for being here. Um, but this year, God, several weeks ago, just dropped this message in my heart, and I have been waiting for several weeks to come and preach it because it's one of the most powerful declarations that God ever made about Jesus. One of the things I think that we miss sometimes as we go through and we read the Christmas story is we forget how clear, how concise, how deep and how powerful God made it known on the night of Jesus' birth that this was not just another baby hanging out. There was so many things that God orchestrated. Now, he spent two to 3,000 years speaking through prophets and speaking through teachers and speaking through different things uh, in the Old Testament that were prophesying and were making known the goodness and the greatness of the Messiah that would come in the future. But on the, the literal day of, on, on the night of God and his goodness and his wisdom and his power, he wanted to make sure that there was zero confusion about what he was doing through the birth of Jesus. He knew that there would be an enemy that would try to confuse us and, and, and taint the picture of, of what this, this miraculous, crazy, powerful gift that he gave the world. He knew that the culture would not understand. He knew that, that, that the unbelieving Jews uh, and the Pharisees and the legalists and the zealots at the time would try to change the message and be confusing to the message and, and, and hurt it in ways. He knew that governments would crash down on it. He knew that there would be a thousand ways that, that what he was doing in the birth of Jesus would get misconstrued and would get confused and would get uh, just twisted even intentionally and on purpose. And so he went out of his way to make sure that he gave to us a very clear, concise, unconfusing message on the literal night of Jesus's birth. And he did this in a crazy powerful way. Uh, I, I wanna read in Luke 2 uh, verses one through seven. 
This is just the, the uh, historical Luke. Luke, if you don't know the book of Luke, uh, Luke was a researcher. He was hired by a Roman governor uh, to go and figure out all this Jesus stuff because the movement became so volatile and so uh, uh, powerful. And no matter what anybody tried to do, uh, whether they were hurting, arresting, killing, no matter what happened, the, the power of the gospel was just changing thousands of lives every single day and spreading across the world like wildfire. And this Roman governor wanted to know the deep details of the origins of this movement. And so he sent Luke and Luke investigated this. And so I love the book of Luke because we get the, the details almost like an investigative reporter. Uh, and, and there's a power to that. And so I want us to just see this setup, And then I want us to see the message that God gave us about Jesus. This is Luke 2 uh, verses 1 through 7. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration uh, when Coronius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the reason why that's so important is because if God had not done what he's about to do in verses 8 to 14, then it might be up uh, to debate what this baby born in Bethlehem from Mary, who, who he really, truly was and what he was really here to do. There was so many, and I, and I just wanna make sure that we, we get the blessing of being able to look back on this in hindsight. But at the time, even though there was countless prophecies of the Messiah, even though there was countless scriptures and countless prophets and, and countless times God himself spoke to the hearts of men about the coming Savior, about the coming Messiah, about, about the Christ, the anointed one uh, that would come out of Israel and be a blessing to the whole world, even though there was countless uh, hundreds of prophecies that pointed to this Messiah, every single Jew at the time, every single man and woman in Israel at the time had a misconception of what the Messiah would be and the role that he would play. And, and they were looking uh, for someone and something uh, to do very, very different things than what it was that God sent Jesus to do. And so by God giving us the next few scriptures, he truly wipes away every ounce of possible confusion. And the reason that I'm making a big deal out of this is because every single one of us, prior to knowing Jesus Christ, we come into a knowledge of Christ and maybe even a genuine relationship with Christ uh, with our own tainted views, philosophies, and perspectives of God. I think the thing that we, we fail to understand uh, is the damage that sin has truly done to our hearts, our minds, our, our bodies, uh, our philosophies, the, the, the perspectives that we have, that sin has deeply damaged those things and geared those things away from God and in an unhealthy manner. 
And so God being the good loving God that he is, he gives us uh, these messengers, these angels from heaven, starting in verse eight to come to these shepherds and everything these angels are about to say, every message that they are about to give, not just to these shepherds, but to you and to me and to all of history, this was God's way of wiping away the dust. This was God's way of making sure that it was clear, making sure that it was concise, making sure that every single person, whether you chose to believe it or not, is a different story, but make sure that every single person who reads the holy scriptures of God would know in the depths of their heart what God truly was doing in the birth of Christ. Now, what I'm about to say and what we're about to read, the main scriptures this morning, there is a lot of it that's going to fly in the face of what you naturally think and believe about God. And what's unique, and we'll get down here in just a minute and you'll understand what I'm saying, is when I say it, you won't think that you disagree with it. You won't think that, that it's something that, that, that plagues your heart. But what I need you to understand is that God gave us this clarity for a reason. Because he knew the sin in our flesh, he knew the enemy himself and the culture that we're raised in would shift and shape all of God's, all of our perspective of God to the point that we fear God in an unhealthy way, to the point that we view God in an unhealthy way, to the point that even in giving in a relationship with God, we still don't view him as the loving father that he desires us to view him as. And so as we read this, I want me, especially if you grew up in church, I want you to do me a massive favor, and I want you just to pretend for a second that you don't know everything. I know that's hard because I know it's not true. I know you know everything. I got it. Your wife hadn't figured that out yet, but I know. I know you know everything. I got it. But just for fun, let's read the next few scriptures like we've never read them before, and let's just hear them as best we can with the most truly innocent heart and let the spirit of God take these words and change your life with it. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, this is Luke 2, 8 through 14. Now it says, in the same region, there were shepherds. So as Jesus was literally being born, in that same area, this took place. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So I wanna spend just a few minutes on Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Every word that these angels said came from God the Father. Do you know what angel literally means? It means messenger. They're messengers of God. What we get when the Bible describes these beings, they don't describe who or what they really are. The descriptive words we have are their roles that they're playing on the earth. So when it says that these angels came 
And I know that we kind of have this like chubby little baby with wings view of an angel. They are not that. They are awesome. They are beyond what we can imagine. And every single time that they show up, they have to either wake the person up from fainting in fear or caution them not to be afraid because they are um, just magnificent in sight. But their role are messengers. So when they show up on the earth to speak to history, they are literally speaking the very words and the heart of God the Father to this earth. So as we read this, though it's coming from messengers to shepherds, the way that we really need to read this is from the heart of God the Father to your heart. Because this is what God the Father wants the world to know about Jesus. This is what God the Father wants the world to know about his son. This right here, what we're about to read, what we're about to focus on, this is what God the Father believes is more important for you to hear and for the shepherds to hear and for history to hear first and most more than anything else. We have a way of making church and Christianity something God never meant for it to be. And so as we listen this morning, I want you to listen with your heart wide open, not at what some angels or messengers are saying to shepherds, but what the God of heaven who created you is saying directly to you about Jesus. This is the main scripture, Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the first message that these messengers give to the shepherds and give to history is fear not. Now, yes, they are also equally calming down the shepherds because I'm sure the shepherds just thought some aliens showed up and was about to wipe them out. I'm not, I mean, what did you think they thought it was? They weren't like, oh, those are angels from God. Nope, they had no idea what it was. They had to identify themselves. So they're saying fear not, but I believe that they're also saying because of the connection that they're making, they're also saying, do not fear us. Do not fear the one who sent us. Do not fear the message that we bring and do not fear what God is doing in the earth tonight. Now, I want you to just for a second, I want you to really hang on to the reality of what I just said. Because the vast, if you go and you poll the world, the vast majority of people who believe in God, especially in the Christian religion, have an unhealthy fear of the God who created them. And I need you to understand there is a healthy fear that we call reverence, which is a powerful thing that all of us should have of God. But then there is an unhealthy fear that the enemy wants you to have in order to separate or confuse or ruin your perspective of God the Father. And so I know that the vast majority of Christians enter into their relationship with God with an unhealthy fear and an unhealthy perspective. 
And he, God the Father, in his mercy and his grace and his power, he understands that. So the first message that he gave to the human heart was you have nothing to fear from me because I created you. You are because I made you. You are because I wanted you to be. You exist in the universe that I created because I thought of you and I designed you and I made you. And I am telling you that you have nothing to fear of me. And everything that I am doing in the earth, you don't have to be afraid of that either because I could do nothing, but instead I'm choosing to do something and the something that I'm choosing to do is for your benefit, and it's for you, not against you. Now, I know that there's a ton of religions, and I know that there's a ton of legalists, and I know that there's a ton of people who want you to have an unhealthy fear of God. And I am telling you, there is only one non-human person who wants you to have an unhealthy fear of God, and it is Satan. He wants you to have an unhealthy fear of God so that you feel like you can't approach him, so that you feel like you're not good enough to be in his presence, so you feel like that you don't know him. And I am telling you that what God the Father is doing specifically on this night is making it possible for you, despite who you are and what you've done, to be in his presence, not just to be a servant, but to become a son and a daughter. So I want you to understand maybe the first message that these angels, these messengers gave gave to history was the most powerful message to disarm your heart so that you would know in the depths of your soul that God wants you to know that you have nothing to fear because everything that I'm doing tonight and everything that I'm doing in the world is for you and it's not against you. There is a power in that. So he says, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Now, listen, I don't, I don't want to be whatever, but I love, I love when people reach out with their thoughts and opinions, okay? I love it. I love it. I cherish it inside. But most of the time when people want to reach out, it's usually not with positive things, right? It's not like when things are going great and things are going well and, and people are loving the church, nobody sends an email and just goes, you're, ama you're amazing. I just want you to know everything's going awesome. No, we smile, we wave, we hug, we move on. And please don't send me false encouraging emails. That's not, I'm not fishing here. I got too many to read as it is. You want to appreciate me. You love Jesus. You love your family. You show up to church. You invest in what God's doing. Do that. Don't send me. I love you. I love you. But most people send the negative ones, right? This is, this is, this is a, a big part of kind of just human society that most of the time we don't go out of our way to be positive to people, but when people rub us the wrong way, we go out of positive to be, I mean, out of the way to be negative to people. And so I love uh, that God is so in tune with human society and that human society hasn't changed that often because the first thing that he says, he goes, fear not for behold, you have nothing to fear because... What we're bringing to you tonight is good news. That's it. It's not good news with a caveat. It's not good news with strings attached to it. He says it's good news. So I, I, again, I want you just for a second, I want you to pretend you've never read the Bible, you've never heard this story, you've never heard these scriptures, and you're, you're one of those shepherds, you're standing out in the field, you smell bad because you've been out there for weeks, all right, one of the sheep just ran off and you almost got eaten by a wolf and you're just stressed and you're hanging out, and then angels show up, terrify you to your soul, 
And then they tell you, fear nothing, but I want you to know everything that I'm about to say and every part of what I'm about to bring and every message that I'm about to give and everything that God is about to do in the earth tonight is good news, period. Not good news if, not good news however, not good news but, it's good news. Now what you do with that good news matters, but he says it's good news. In fact, he goes, it's good news of great joy. The only thing the true genuine message of God should do to the human heart is create great joy. If it does not create great joy, there is a strong possibility what you're hearing is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ creates great joy. Legalism creates shame. Religion creates fear. And I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. But the message, and God, this is, I want you to understand, Jesus shows up. And day one, God says, I want you to understand what he means to this world. It's goodness and it's good news and it should cause great joy. And if it does anything in your life but cause great joy, some of you grew up in churches and the gospel that you heard did anything but cause great joy, it wasn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I'm not ashamed of the true gospel of Jesus Christ for the same reason Paul wasn't because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because within it is the power to save those who believe it. The heart of what God wants the earth to know is everything I'm doing tonight, you have nothing to fear, it's good news, and it should only create great joy in your heart. And if it's not, it's not from God the Father, it's not the good news, and it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what you do with it is important, but the gospel in itself is nothing but good news of great joy. And as he justifies the fear not by telling you it's good news of great joy, he then justifies the good news of great joy with the reality, three words about this baby that's been born, three words about Jesus. It says, for unto you is born, fear not, because I'm bringing you good news of great joy. This good news of great joy is a reality because the baby that's born this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the Lord. He says he's a savior. Now I wanna hang on to that just for a second because I think we just blow by words sometimes. Now God the Father could have sent the Son to do anything that God the Father felt like that needed to be done on the earth. That was a convoluted way of saying God could have done anything that he wanted to do. And he could have sent Jesus to be an accuser and there's a lot in our life that we could be accused of. He could have sent Jesus to be a prosecutor. And there's a lot in our life that we could be prosecuted for. He could have sent Jesus to be the judge. He could have sent Jesus to be the punisher. He could have sent Jesus to do 100,000 different things. But God the Father sent Jesus to the earth for one primary role and one primary purpose, and that was to be a savior. That was to be a savior. Now, I want you just for a second. He's a savior. Now, what that means is, and I want, I, want you to, I want you to hear me. This is the most important. If you don't get anything else, I need you to hear this for the next few minutes. This means the way that God views you, 
because I know that sin and the enemy and the culture and religion has created in us so many of us to believe and to think that God looks at us like we are wicked, evil creatures. He looks at us like we deserve to die, that he looks at us like we're trash, that he looks at us like we're garbage, that he, that he looks at us like that we're just, we're just one, you know, one word, one action away of God just being done with us and just kicking us out. Now, I really, really, really want you to understand none of that is ever written or even touched on in Scripture whatsoever. For God the Father to send Jesus and for the message that God wanted you to know about Jesus was that he was a Savior means that he views you as someone who is in need of being saved which means that he doesn't view you as the enemy, though the Bible says that we make ourselves enemies of God and we're hostile in our minds, God is not hostile towards you. What he views, he views you as your creation. If you're getting baptized, you can go back. He views you as his creation whom he deeply loves. And he views the sin in your life as something that you need to be saved from. He views the damages of sin in your life something that you need to be saved from, something that needs to be healed. He views uh, your destiny that sin has created for you, which is death, as something that you need to be saved from. He loves you deeply, and he does not view you as an enemy, he views you as someone who has been captured and enslaved by the one true enemy. And so he sent Jesus not to accuse you, prosecute you, judge you, or condemn you, but he sent Jesus to save you from sin, to save you from the consequences of sin, to save you from the sickness and the death that sin brings and to save you from eternal separation from him. So I, I, I want this to, if, if you have, whatever view you have of God, whatever perspective you have of God's perspective of you, let it change right here and right now. God loves you and he sent Jesus to save you. In fact, the most famous scripture of all time is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not to what? To condemn the world, but to save the world, right? Because our sin already condemns us. He views you as a prisoner of war that needs to be saved and brought back home. He doesn't view you as an enemy. Though you make, we make ourselves an enemy of God, he still views you as a child that needs to be brought home the prodigal son that needs to be brought home. That's how God views you. In fact, that view never changes. That view never changes. He always views you as someone that needs to be saved. He always views you as the sin being the enemy, but you not being the enemy. And I love this, that, that of all the things that God could have said to us on day one, he said that he's a savior. He goes on to say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now Christ, that's the word for Messiah, 
anointed one. This is the label that the Old Testament gives Jesus. Now, if Savior is the role and the purpose of Christ, for God to give us this word, Christ, Messiah and anointed one, if Savior is the role, Messiah is, is the, the essence of the ability to get the job done. He's the anointed one. He's been anointed and appointed to accomplish the purpose, which is to save humanity from sin and the hold of the evil one. So what the Old Testament prophesies and what this scripture establishes and what the rest of the New Testament teaches us is that Jesus was the only being in the universe that could save the world from sin. That he was anointed, he was gifted, he was, he was given everything that was needed to succeed in his mission. He defeated sin in three ways. He defeated sin by never sinning. He defeated sin by dying the death that you deserved. And he defeated sin by getting up out of the grave again and leaving that sin in the depths of hell where it belongs. Now, it's important that you understand Savior and Christ go together because everything that Christ did by never sinning, he defeated temptation. By dying on the cross as an innocent sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth, he took away sin's power from you because now you can be forgiven and he can simply remove it. And three, because he got up from the grave, he's gonna make sure that you get up from the grave too one day. So every single thing that needed to be done in order for him to truly be your savior, savior on every level. He was anointed to do it and he did it. That's why he's not just the savior, but he's the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And the third descriptive word that God wanted to make sure that we understood about Jesus is that he is the savior who is the Christ, the Lord. Now this is, this is bigger than I think that we realize. Uh, in, in any given business, there's levels of authority, right? Even here at the church, like we've got interns and team leads and directors and staff and, and all the way up. And if you go into any business or you need to solve a problem, you've got to find the person who actually has the authority to solve the problem and okay what's happening. One of the things I think is so annoying is when you go in and you deal with somebody and you waste 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of a conversation just to find out they have no authority to actually help you or do anything. And so what, what God's wanting to make sure that you understand about Jesus is that he is not just a human. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a king out of the lineage of David. He's not just the promised Messiah. He's not just the Savior, but that he is the Lord God Almighty himself, which means that he is in fact the highest authority in heaven and earth because God the Father handed him all authority, which means that when he says you're forgiven, no one or nothing in heaven, on earth, or in hell can trump what Jesus Christ said or did. So when he looks into your life and he says you're forgiven, that's ball game. When he looks in, no matter what some preacher said to you or what some other religion says to you, when Jesus enters into your heart, 
and baptizes you with his Holy Spirit upon your salvation and he fills you and you become a son and a daughter. Literally, there is nothing or heaven and hell that can undo that. It is done and it is secure. God wanted us to know that that baby that was born in a manger, that that baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes, that he came to save the world and the people in it that God loved so much and that his primary role and purpose was to save them. And that not only did he have everything that he needed to accomplish this, he did fully accomplish it. And that after his life and his death on that cross and his resurrection out of that grave, nothing else has to be done in order for the human heart to be saved by the love and the grace and the power of God the Father through Jesus Christ. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. And so I, I, I want you, I, I want us this morning, just for a second, and we're about, to, we're about to watch some baptisms. We're about to see, I think, 20 people today in both services, I think, giving their lives to Christ, celebrating their faith in Jesus by going public with their baptism. But I, I cannot let this moment pass without at least offering everybody in this room, everybody in Overflow, and everybody at home an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus. I believe that if you're sitting in this room, you're sitting at home and you don't know Jesus and you feel the weight of what I'm saying in your heart in a new way and you feel something that's just a heaviness in you, I'm telling you that's the Holy Spirit of God relaying the message, the one true message of the gospel that God deeply loves you and that he's already paid the price for you and that he doesn't see you as scum. He sees you as someone enslaved and entrapped by sin and he wants to save you from that sin, not destroy you for it, All right? So if you feel that this morning, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Simply come to him and give him your life and tell him, I don't understand everything. I don't know that I, I know everything in scripture, but I know enough to know, Jesus, that you are what the Bible says you are. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe the words of Luke 2. I believe that you're the savior. I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the Lord. And if you will confess that this morning, I'm telling you, the Lord will save you where you sit. Amen. Amen.